Um, Romans chapter 5, and I'm just going to read um, well-known verses from verse 6. And we read, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this is the, the hundredth anniversary of the First World War. And just think of the brigades who are in here this morning. How relevant can, can that be for you? What should you remember? How can you remember? Well, let me just ask the, the folks in the brigades who are here this morning a question. How many of you here today are 14? How many are 14? Oh, you're much older and more mature. Mm. How many are 15? Thank you. Some more of you must be 15 than that. How many of you are 16? Yes, thank you. 17? Well, there's somebody telling fibs here because all the hands haven't gone up yet. But anyway, okay. Well, this is relevant because during the week, um, last week, I caught the end of, of, on BBC Two of a programme which I, 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 it resonated with me. So I watched it later on iPlayer. And this programme, it was called Teenage Tommies. And what this programme was about was at the, at the beginning of the war, the British Army was only one-third of the size of the German army. It was 250,000 to 750,000. So an appeal then went out for volunteers. They wanted 100,000. Within days, they had 1.1 million. Now, you had to be 19 at that time legally to serve in the British Army. But boys of 14, 15 and 16 joined up. We'll just put up a wee image here. That's some of them. See, look at the age of some of those. The guy in the end, maybe, but they're really young. They must have, that must have been their first day in recruits, because I've got to say, they're quite scruffy. But anyway, those are the boys, young boys. Some of them, I would say, could only be 14. And you see, what, what was happening was that, that those who were doing the recruiting, they got a bonus for every recruit that they got. So they just took anybody. You know, if you had two arms, two legs, two eyes, you were in. Well, this program that I watched, it told the story of five of these boys. And one of them was the son of a Church of England minister. His mother had just died, and he ran away from home and joined the army. When you find out a bit more about his father, I think I understand why. Because, you see, when his father heard... He was furious about this, and he wrote a letter to the authorities. Not to complain, though, that his son had joined the army, but to complain that he had joined as a private. He wanted his son to be an officer. So he gave permission for him to be in the army as long as he was in the army as an officer. So he was made one. And at the age of 14, he was commanding men, some of them three times his age, on the front line in France. On more than one occasion, when they found out, realised his age, he had opportunity to leave. He was wounded multiple times. He said no. 
He was wounded multiple times. And then age 16, he lost a leg. And even then, he asked permission to stay in the army. He knew he couldn't be in the front line, but he wanted to continue to give support. Another boy by the name of Ernest Steele, he was the son of a factory owner from London. It was a box-making factory. And he was from a comfortable, very comfortable, and an obviously happy family. You could tell that from the letters that he wrote and that he received back from family at home. And he too joined the army as a private. He fought in many of the fiercest battles of the war and because of the way he conducted himself, he rose up through the ranks to be an officer. And twice he was given the opportunity to leave because of his age. But he refused. Part of the reason was because officers who were on the front line were desperately needed because they were the first ones to be spotted and picked off by the enemy. They had the highest casualty rate. They were in short supply. And he didn't want to let his men down. He cared for them. He didn't want to leave them. Towards the end of the war, he wrote a letter to his parents saying how much more he now appreciated all that they'd done for him and how he was looking forward to being reunited with them and with his brother and sister. On the next day, he was killed by a sniper. A relative in the programme said that his father was never the same after that day and they showed two memorial boxes that his father had specially made for mementos of his son. Another story that was shared was that of a a Jewish boy called Avi. And he'd emigrated from Poland with his, his family and had settled in London when he was three years old. You see, he wanted to show his gratitude to Britain. And so again, he joined up when he was only 14. He was wounded on a number of occasions and he suffered shell shock. But he was sent back again and again, back to the front line before he'd fully recovered. He was back in the front line, his regiment came under fierce attack and again suffering from shell shock and totally disoriented, he wandered back to the farm where he had been living until he'd gone back up to the front. And he was found there and arrested by the army. He was put on trial for desertion and the day before the trial he wrote back to his mother and said, I'm in a bit of bother. The French lady who was at the farm, she told the court that he'd shared with her when he'd come back that he wanted to go back to England. He wanted to go home. No wonder. He was a 16-year-old boy who'd been under constant bombardment and wounded multiple times over a two-year period. Who wouldn't want to go home? Who wouldn't? But you see, the court-martial took that comment very seriously. And a few days later... His parents got a telegram, and this is what it said, just about. Your son was court-martialed for desertion, and today was shot at dawn. I remain your obedient servant. I love that bit. Lieutenant Colonel, such and such. And a lady who was on the programme shared at this point how every Remembrance Day, her mother, Avi's sister, used to go into her room and shut the door and cry. Out of those five boys, only two of them eventually came home. 
and one of those missing a leg. It's a lot easier to be motivated to remember, isn't it? As we remember, not a date back in history, not the end of a particular war, but as we remember individuals, people like you and me, like some of the young folks, same age as some of you sitting there in the brigades, who volunteered and gave their lives. What do we remember? We remember surely the lives that they lived, the love that motivated them, the sacrifice that they made, and we determined to honour them in some way in our lives by the way that we live, to show appreciation of all that they did, all that they gave for us. We know this morning is a particular kind of remembrance service, but actually every Sunday in this church is a kind of remembrance service. For every single Sunday, we remember Jesus. We remember his life, his love, his sacrifice. And we remember that as we know Jesus and love him, that we are called to honor him. We are called to show our appreciation of him in our lives by the way that we live. So we remember his life, his unique life. The miracle of his life, in that though he was truly God, yet he was also fully man. He had to be truly God, so that he could live the perfect life that alone could pay the price of our sin, of my sin. That is, of of man's rebellion against God, of our choice to disobey God, to live life our way rather than God's way. And Jesus did live that perfect life. He lived a life where he he taught about God and how to live a life that pleases God in a way that no one else, either before or since, ever has. He lived a life where he healed and performed miracles, the like of which are unparalleled in the history of the world. Jesus lived a life where even his enemies had little that they could say against him and any accusations that they could make were based on lies. Jesus lived that perfect life that only God could live in order that he could pay that price of our sin. But Jesus was also fully man. And he had to be. For only a man could stand in man's place and pay the price of man's sin. But you know, added to that, the the fact that Jesus was a man That meant that that he experienced life in in all its fullness, just as as we do. He knew life exactly as we know it. He knew hunger and thirst. He knew what it was like to be tired and lonely. He was at times let down by his friends and he suffered rejection and outright hostility from his enemies. He knew times of, of great joy during his earthly life. But he also knew times of incredible sadness. And then at the cross, he endured a depth of suffering that goes far beyond anything that any of us will ever suffer. The emotional suffering caused by the desertion by his friends and abuse from his enemies. The physical suffering of the beating he endured before the cross and then the suffering of the cross itself, the cruelest death known 
in an age that was marked by its barbarity and cruelty. But above all, there is the spiritual suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. For you see there, as Jesus took upon himself all our sin, so that he could pay the penalty of that sin, there in that moment, the God the Father, who is perfect and holy and pure, he could no longer look upon his Son covered in our sin. And so you see, for that moment in time, that moment in history, the eternal, perfect relationship between the Father and the Son was broken. And nothing, nothing caused Jesus more pain than this. That's why we have his heartbreaking cry from the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For you see, this was a, a quote from the Old Testament, from Psalm 22.1, where there it's made clear that it's the sin of man that is the reason for Christ's suffering inflicted by men. So you see, this isn't a question that's looking for an answer. Rather, this is a rhetorical question. That is a statement in the form of a question used to make a point. What a life Jesus Christ lived. A life that needs to be remembered. That must be remembered. But we also remember his love. His incredible love. For you see, it was love that led God the Father to send his Son to this earth to live that perfect life and then give it for us. And it was love that led Jesus willingly to come, knowing all that lay before him. Now, he did this reluctantly, and we've got to be clear, because as God, you see, Jesus shared the Father's hatred of sin, and he knew the terrible price that would have to be paid to deal with that sin. He knew the cost that this would involve for him. But he also did this willingly. Because of his love for us. Because he loved us. He suffered that willingly. That incomparable love of God. That love that is like no other love. Love that loves not just because we like someone or we admire them. Love that doesn't just love those that are like us. Those that we would naturally love like our friends or our family. The good, the kind and the generous but rather love that loves the unworthy, the ungrateful, the unlovely. Love that loves, not because of anything to do with us, not because we are lovable, but love that loves for one reason and one reason only, because it cannot stop loving, because he cannot stop loving, because it is his nature to love. You see, God created us. He made us to love. And though we should pay the, the price of our own sin, and though that sin should leave us separated from God for all eternity, yet Jesus loves us so much that he cannot let this happen. So he comes down to this earth, dies on that cross, and he does it all because of love. But here's a 
a verse. There's a verse here that I think kind of adds colour and brings us to, to life. And it's the, the second part of Hebrews 12, verse 2. Speaking of Jesus there, who it says, For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, now here, maybe part of what that, that joy that's spoken of is about, maybe part of it is that the joy of Jesus as he goes to the Father, sits by him, knowing that he has perfectly fulfilled the most challenging, the greatest task ever given to anyone at any time. Maybe it was the joy then of the Father's well done. Maybe it was that that brought Jesus joy. I'm sure it was. Even as he endured the agony of the cross. In part, I'm sure this was the case. But you know, I also believe there was more to Jesus' joy here. That joy that helped carry him through the cross. But it was also knowing that he had set free those that he loved from the penalty of sin. That it was knowing what God could now do in our lives, through our lives. It was this that brought Jesus joy. As you look forward to this, even at the cross, and I say, surely such a love as this must always be remembered. But how can we honour such a life, such a love, well, just as Jesus was reluctant and yet willing because of his great love to sacrifice himself to us, so I believe that our reaction to that love and sacrifice should be a mixture of sadness and yet of joy. Sadness for the sin, our share in that sin that made that sacrifice necessary. Sadness for the terrible suffering that he had to endure. And yet joy, great joy, unbelievable joy that he loved us, loved me, loved you, each one of us so much that he was willing to go through that for us. And joy also, joy at what his death and resurrection now mean for us. That the barrier of sin has been torn down because of that sacrifice of love. That we've been brought into a new relationship with God. Given a new life, a new beginning. And that as the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. As that power, as God's power comes into our lives. We are then from that moment set free. And enabled to live a life. That pleases God. Now not a perfect life. Never a perfect life where we live on this body set in this world. But we are able to live a transformed life. A changed life. A God honouring life. This is what Jesus has won for us. This is what is ours as we come to him in faith. And we should rejoice. Rejoice in that. Today then is, it is a day of remembrance. It's a day when we remember those in the First World War, in the Second World War, and the many conflicts since then. A day when we remember and give thanks for them, for their lives, their love, their sacrifice. 
But let us also, at the same time, let us remember the greatest life ever lived. The greatest love ever shared. The greatest sacrifice ever made. Let's remember the sacrifice by Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And let us honour him today. First of all, honour by putting our faith in him. And then by resolving that empowered by him, by the Holy Spirit, to live lives that bring glory to him, that point to him. Let's come to God now in prayer. Father, we pray that you'll help us to give Jesus Christ that place of honour in our lives. And that as we remember today the many who sacrificed themselves for us, that that remembrance will draw us on to remember the greatest sacrifice of all. Father, help us to do honour to Jesus. Help us to respond to his love and his sacrifice. Help us now to give our lives in return back to him. This we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.